Amen. And Heavenly Father, David would sing these words to you and find great comfort. Jesus certainly would sing such words in his day. And so open these words to our hearts and minds now as well, for we would learn to trust you in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, I really appreciated Jeff's um, exhortation to us with regard to prayer. It runs very parallel to what we'll be discovering in Psalm 54. In the book of Job, uh, chapter 5, it says that man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Do you know what that means? It means life is full of troubles. Lots of troubles. Like, like if you are alive, if you're alive, you have troubles. It just comes with life. This is, this is the way of this fallen world. Life is full of trouble, and it is so full of trouble because of what we learned about the fallen and cursed nature of man and the effect of man's fall upon creation back in the previous psalm, Psalm 53. In that psalm, we, we found that uh, the, the psalmist is writing that there's none who seek after God. This, this fallen nature of, of, of our people, of who we are in the old humanity, is totally depraved. It, it will not acknowledge God as God, and it will not give thanks to him, obey him, follow after him, humble, them, humble ourselves before him. Our, the, the, the old humanity is at war with God, hates God, hates his ways. And because of that, we are told that, uh, that Adam and Eve, in their sin, we all fell into sin and misery and death. Life is full of trouble. If you're alive, your life is full of trouble. So life is full of troubles. And in, in this passage we see in, in this psalm, we see it's even, um, it's even a life full of troubles for an anointed king. One who is a man after God's own heart. And this is why the psalms are so full of laments and cries to God for help. And it is why we seek to recover singing the psalms and learning to pray like David, and learning to pray like his son and Lord Jesus. We want to study the Psalms and sing them and pattern our prayers after them. We want to meditate on not just the words and the themes of the Psalms, but the way in which these prayers are off offered to the Lord. The way in which we are to cry out or lament or complain or praise in the midst of the troubles. We've been given this songbook so that our praise, so that our prayers would run deeper and broader than simply the trite, bless my life, O Lord, or not knowing what to pray in many situations. The Psalms teach us so much about how to pray. So here in this Psalm, we learn to bring our troubles to God in prayer. We learn that we're supposed to bring all of our troubles to God in prayer. In addition, we learn that we are to bring our prayers to God, our troubles before God in prayer, with a vibrant, hopeful faith in our Lord. And, and not just um, a vibrant, hopeful faith, doctrinally speaking, or according to how we, what we believe about God's sovereignty, but from our hearts, expressed in prayer expressed in a joy that, that surrounds us because, of, because the, the joy of the Lord is our strength, of a joy and a hope that surrounds us no matter the troubles, because we know the God of those troubles. 
We know the one who reigns over those troubles. We know where he's taking us in the midst of those troubles. We know where it's going ultimately. So let's dive into this psalm and see what we can learn, what you can gather in terms of how you should pray, not just the words, but the manner um, of, of your prayers. You might recall back in Psalm 52, it wasn't a surprise to David that Doeg the Edomite betrayed him to Saul. That was, that was the, uh, um, the theme of Psalm 52 or the superscript that was given to us. At the beginning of Psalm 52, we're told that this, this psalm was written when Doeg the Edomite had gone in and told Saul that David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. D- David says in, in Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel 22 that he wasn't surprised. He knew who Doeg was. He just... He just was, he wasn't surprised at how many was so upset about what happened because of it. But the superscription of, of, of the psalm we're looking at, 54 here, tells us that David finds himself rejected by men of his own tribe. So in Psalm 52, he's rejected by this Edomite, this, um, uh, this really traitor to him. But now in Psalm 54, we, he finds it's his own people, it's his own people from his own from these cities in these Judean towns who are ter- trying to turn David over to Saul. David had left the cave of Adullam to rescue the city of Keilah from the Philistines. But afterward, um, after he had rescued the, the city from the Philistines, um, he finds that Keilah was um, intending to betray him to Saul. So that's in the very next chapter. That's in 1 Samuel 23, verse 12. So David flees from Keilah and he goes to another city, uh, a city off in the desert called Ziph. And this town is also a town uh, in, in Judah. So these are his people. And, and he goes there to, to escape from Saul. And after he gets there, um, he, he does them no harm at all. And yet the Ziphites go and tattle on David to the king as well. 1 Samuel 23. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, say, <coughs> excuse me, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? We're giving, he's giving them addresses, like right there, right there, right. Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hands. The psalm then is about David lamenting before God after he, is, after he is already running from Saul and tried to go to places where he's blessing the people that he's going to. He's saving the, the town of Keilah from the Philistines. They want to turn him over to Saul. And then he flees to a place he thinks will be safe, far away from, from Saul, from his people, but among his own people, finds out they are turning him over to Saul as well. That's what this, that's the That's the uh, subject or the context of the psalm that we're then looking at here, Psalm 54. The psalm breaks easily into two parts with a selah in between. In the first three verses, David prays for salvation and vindication from the murderous malice of his enemies who are set against God. And then in verses 4 through 7, David turns and he comforts himself with the assurance of God's favor and protection, recalling God's character his covenant name, and his sure deliverances in times past. So, so see here, this, this is David comforting himself with the assurance of God's good protecting love. While he has been fleeing from Saul and getting turned over and, and betrayed over and over again, he's singing out of his trust in God in the midst of the troubles. There's so much to learn here. There's so much to see. 
So this is a psalm for you, for when you see no way of escape from your troubles. It's not just when you have troubles. It's when over and over and over again, you find you can't get rid of that trouble. Try as you might, pray as you might, act faithfully as you might, the trouble is still there. And you are called to sing Psalm 54. So first of all, prayer in troubled times. The first three verses, listen to them again. Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. David cries out to God and for God to save him. And he says to do so by his name, according to what, who, who he is. He will use three names um, with regard to God in this short psalm. We'll take a look at them in just a minute. So to save according to his name, according to his character, according to what his name signifies and tells us about him. Not only does he want to be just saved, he asks also that his name be vindicated. David has done nothing wrong. David has not been trying to, to take over the throne of Saul. That wasn't his aspiration. He was kind of happy being a shepherd out there in the fields. He was not the one who anointed himself. He wasn't on the, on the, on the trail trying to win, win an election. He's just running from Saul, who's been told by Samuel, your days are over. You, you, you are no longer king. God has anointed another king. But David didn't do that. Samuel, or Saul has brought this on himself. And so, um, he, David, and as I said, he's, he'd protected the city of Keilah against the Philistines, but they were more interested in staying in the good graces of Saul. You, you don't want to get on the bad side of Saul. Remember what happened to Ahimelech? Remember what happened to all the priests? Remember what happened to that city of priests? The men, women, and children who were slaughtered because Ahimelech had given David some bread and, and Goliath's sword? You don't want to be on the bad side of Saul. And so um, that Keilah has been saved, but they want to make sure that Saul doesn't now come out after them. So they go and tell David, or they go tell Saul that David is there. They want to stay in the good graces of the ones who are in power right now. Spurgeon writes about this. What cared they what innocent blood was shed so that they earned the graceless monarch's smile? We'll turn David over so that we can, can remain at peace with the leaders, with the rulers even though they are wicked. And so David cries out, hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. And I think this is an indication that David is not just praying once, he's, he's, he is praying over and over. Hear my prayer, listen to me, God. The trouble is still here. I've gone from city to city. Hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth. We learn about pleading before God, about pleading over and over before God when we are in our troubles. And so um, David, David cries out to, to hear, hear his prayer as an, um, as an indication. Well, I will say, he, he then says that th these are the ones, he calls them strangers. This is in verse 2, verse 3. For strangers have risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. Well, the strangers, the word can be translated, the insolent, the arrogant, that's Saul and his men, the insolent and the arrogant, um, uh, and, and, I'm sorry, the, the strangers, the insolent, arrogant men are, are the ones who are turning him over um, in, in their arrogance to Saul. And Saul's men, they are the oppressors, they're the ruthless ones. 
Um, and and it's, it's obvious, again, as if you remember what happened to, be, to Ahimelech, the 85 priests with him and their cities, women, and children who were destroyed in the end, as recorded in the end of 1 Samuel 22. Saul was ruthless and to be feared because he was real, real trouble. Well, do we have prayer? Do, do, should we be offering prayers in our troubled times as well? We have our personal troubles, but we also have, as a Christian people today in our land, a corporate national trouble in our day. The gods of secularism, Darwinism, egalitarianism, and materialism have our culture today by the throat. Like David, David's enemies, they have not set God before them. That, that, that would identify what our nation's leaders are like. They will not set God before them. They will be their own gods. They will rule according to their own um, uh, ways. They will, according to whatever corruptions they can work, their own uh, paths for their own good, for their own power, they will not set God before them. And every time in the history of man, every time a, um, a nation or a culture does not have God set before them, whether it is a Hebrew king like Saul or compromised false teachers within the church or our own tyrannical leaders, even if duly elected by our culture, if a nation, if the leaders of a nation or a culture will not set God before them, we will find Ruthless and innocent, insolent men laying claim to us, laying claim to our children, laying claim to our stuff, laying claim to our souls. And so first, we must learn to pray like David did. And then we must pray. It's not, it's not just enough. Far too many of us have read and learned how to sing some of the Psalms, and we, and we understand in our heads we're supposed to pray like this. But how many of us are praying like that? It's not enough to know you're supposed to pray like this. It's not enough. We must pray like this. We must plead before God. We must plead for our nation. We must plead in the midst of our own troubles. We can't just give a nod to his sovereignty. We can't just give a nod to um, the judgment that is before us that is, is well deserved. We are to be like David in the midst of trouble, crying out for God to do something, to save us, to vindicate us, to restore us, to revive us, to change us. We have to cry out to God like David does. So that's first. And second, we must learn to carefully weigh our ultimate loyalties. Oftentimes, we stay in troubles and we, we stay in troubles because we will not, we refuse to stand and take a final and ultimate stand that Jesus is Lord in this situation. My own situations, my family's situations, even Micah. Micah would say, do not trust in a friend. Now, he doesn't mean absolutely never trust in a friend, okay? But, but listen, he says, do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion, Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. So even with your own wife, your own spouse, that, that's not your place of ultimate, of ultimate trust, of ultimate confidence. Not, not in your children, not in your parents. Ultimate confidence shall, should never be placed in men, in people, even of your closest relations. 
It's always subordinate to your ultimate confidence in terms of, of, of who you must trust in. The closest of relational ties, friends and family, cannot be trusted when the cutting sword of gospel truth is proclaimed. When this happens, it reveals how fallen man's nature is, and when it happens on a national scale, it is a sign of God's certain judgment. Christ taught that these would be the signs of coming judgment upon Jerusalem as well, but he also taught that the true that true disciples love him more regardless of the cost. We as a nation, we as a, as Christians in a compromised nation, must be very careful that we, that we make sure it is clear that our ultimate loyalties and our ultimate allegiances are to the Lord Jesus Christ first, not to any political party, not to any political person, but, but rather to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ calling upon all men, the thoughts of all men, to, to be taken captive to the Lord himself. I want to read Jesus' words on this topic. If you have a Bible, turn with me to chapter 10 of Matthew. And I'm going to read a little bit extended passage here as he talks about this kind of thing. These are not sweet and easy words from our Lord. These are, word, these, are, these are a call to discipleship. These are words of a call to true discipleship, loyal discipleship. In the midst of what he says um, is a life of troubles. He's going to say the same kind of thing, to expect troubles. Chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 16. Behold, Jesus says... I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of this household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. These are the words of Jesus. In life of troubles, in life of when you have to make a decision about where your ultimate and final loyalties lie. As David found out, we too must come to see that there are no more safe spaces where we can quietly settle down. There, there's hardly a ziff left in our nation where you can just go and quietly settle down and mind your own business. There will be a fight. It is on the horizon. And so we pray. We must learn to pray. Oh, Lord, deliver our people, save our nation, and do it by means of your name. But can we do it with the kind of hope and faith that David prays in the midst of trouble? Again, Psalm 54, beginning in verse 4, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. So we must not only pray as David prays, but we must pray with the hope that David prays. We must not just simply pray the way David prays. We must learn to pray with the hope that David prays, with the optimism that David prays, with the sureness that God will answer, that God is on his throne, and that God is good, and that he hears our prayers and acts. Who is our God that we are praying to? Who is our God? What is his name? Because we are asking here, to, he prays that, that you would save by your name. Three names with regard to God. Three names are given in this short psalm. He is Elohim. In verses 1 through 4, several times, you'll see in your translation, God, is, is, it's translated. And uh, the word is Elohim. This is the name of God in Genesis 1.1. This is the name of the creator God over all of heaven and earth. Creator of all things. He is the one whose fingers set the moon and the stars in their place. Psalm 8.3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. Job 38. Where were you, God says, when I laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? <coughs> to what were its foundations fashioned? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? He is Elohim. But he is also Adonai. In verse 4, the end of verse 4, you have it there as Lord. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He is Adonai. Adonai is ruler, master, one who is, who is over all things. So he is the ruler of all this creation that he has put. God did not wind up the created world and then set it to be on its own. God rules from heaven over all of heaven and earth, over all of his creation. Listen, Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Isaiah 45, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and I create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Rain down, you heavens, from above and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, he has no hands? 
How dare you? Ephesians 1, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is Adonai. Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, speaking of Jesus. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Job 42, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You see, when you believe that that is the name of God, when that's the character of God, that he is Adonai, that he is Elohim, created all things, that he is Adonai, he rules over all things, you pray differently. You pray differently. But not only is he Elohim and Adonai, he is also Lord or Yahweh. Verse 6, you see again, um, the, the word is translated Lord. In your translation, most likely, it is all capital letters as opposed to the previous Lord, Adonai. That indicates it is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. So when he says, uh, beginning in verse 4, behold, Elohim is my helper. Adonai is with those who uphold my life. And then in verse 6, I will praise your name, Yahweh, for it is good. He is Yahweh. Because he's a covenant-keeping God. He is loyal to his people, and he is loyal with tender mercies. Who are you praying to? You're praying to a God who said, you are my people and I am your God. You're praying to a God who says, I will take you and make a great nation of you. You're praying to a God who said, through you, through the seed of Abraham, through his people, I'm going to bless all nations. That's who you're praying to. Is he going to be good to his word? Deuteronomy 7, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. 1 Corinthians 1, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you, who will guard you from the evil one. And John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the God that David's praying to. And he's praying to this God, knowing his name, knowing what his names mean, believing what his names mean are true and applicable to how you should pray why you should pray to this God. David prays with hope. David prays with hope. He knows God is his helper and is with those who help him. In in verse 4, again, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. Interestingly, in in this event that is taking place in 1 Samuel 23, God sends help through Jonathan's loyal and encouraging words. Jonathan will meet David in the midst of this um, Uh, trouble that is going on with Saul and David, Jonathan will secretly go and meet with David. And it says in uh, 1 Samuel 23, then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. He said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. So God brings encouragement through Jonathan, encouragement in his his 
uh, concern over the trouble. And then he does so as well in the same chapter through his providence, through God's providential works. Because it is, um, Saul is on his way. He's on his way to Ziph. He's going to attack David, and, and it doesn't look good. And all of a sudden, Saul receives word that the Philistines are attacking his people in another city, and he leaves, he, 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 he leaves and departs from going after David because he's got to go fight the Philistines in another place. God answered David's prayer and provided means of escape and provided encouragement to him and to his soul that he was in the favor of God. This kind of faith in God in the midst of troubles is itself a gift from the helper. So God grants you, I would even argue to you, God even has granted to you this kind of faith. This kind of faith that hopes in God, it hopes in a God when you cannot see your way out. When you cannot see the way out of the troubles before you. This is a God who is your covenant God, loyal to his covenant. Loyal, therefore, to you. This is a God who created all things. This is a God who has, who has control over all things. And this is a God who time and again has delivered you. And you need to remember that. Part of what we're going to talk about is, and in remembering that, you strengthen your faith. That faith is a gift from God, we're told. It, the, the faith that you have to believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, that your sins are forgiven by him and only by him, and that you have eternal life secured by his work, that faith that was given to you is the faith that gives you hope in the midst of trials. Hebrews 11 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That faith is evidence of things not seen. That faith is the substance of all your hope. Of all your hope. And God grants us that faith. In addition, David could pray for God to avenge and vindicate him, and he could wait for God to do so. Verse 5. Again, he will repay my enemies for their evil, cut them off, and cut them off in your truth. Twice, David was given the opportunity to kill Saul himself, but he refused to do so. He wanted his name vindicated without being um, charged with having murdered the anointed one, the one, the one that God had put in that place. Even though Saul, Saul had killed many of his friends, he had, killed, he had murdered all kinds of people to, to stay in power and, um, or taking vengeance against David and those around David. David refused to take vengeance, to take revenge against Saul. But he only could do that because he knew God would. He knew God would do it better. And he knew God had the right to do so, and he did not. And we need to learn the same thing. Romans 12, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath. Not because God doesn't want vengeance, but because he's the one who makes, takes vengeance. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So David is not being vindictive in this, in this prayer when he says, cut him off by your truth. This is not a prayer of malice, but of faith. David is taking his case before the great judge as a plaintiff seeking redress for wrongs suffered and for righteousness to flood the land. 
It's not just that he wants Saul cut off and destroyed and ground into powder before his eyes. He wants him cut off in the truth, in God's truth. I want righteousness restored. I want, I want the ways of God to be in the place of rule rather than the ways of men. So David brings his case, he's bringing a case before a great judge and, cause, and calling out to be vindicated. This hope, this hope produced by faith in God, a faith from God, erupts then in confident and joyful praise. I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good, for he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. Which is another reason that we need to learn to pray like David. This praise can be given before deliverance has come, when God has granted such faith. That kind of praise overflows then. The kind of praise, uh, a a, a praise in a God who we know is going to vindicate, who is going to, to provide a way of salvation, who has provided for us eternal life itself. This kind of praise is contagious. Spurgeon writes, it is of great use to our souls to be much in praise. We are never so holy or so happy as when our adoration of God abounds. Praise is good in itself, good to us and good to all around us. When we sing with such faith and hope, we admonish one another and we do so with great encouragement. This is why Paul writes in in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. People, when you are singing the psalms, when you are singing the great hymns of faith, you, you, of course, should be singing them to God. You should be singing them with hearts abounding with joyful hope and expectation before God. You're commanded to do so. But you're also commanded to use those psalms. You're supposed to sing to the person next to you. You're supposed to help with others fill this room with a raucous roar of hope and faith so that others would be encouraged. Are you not encouraged when you hear this congregation take up one of its favorites and sing it with all your heart? Are you not encouraged? Are your eyes not turned once more to the Lord with great hope? Well, that's because you and another person and another person and another person and another person decided to sing like that. Decided to sing with that kind of hope and faith. And then that hope and faith spreads. That's why we must gather together. We must gather together to lift up the name of our Lord on high and give glory to him. And as we do so, it strengthens our hearts. You strengthen my heart by the way that you sing. So don't sing with some kind of a mumble in the background. I need encouragement. Your neighbor needs encouragement. This world needs to hear the songs of praise and hope and encouragement. That's why psalm singing outside or Christmas carols being sung outside, that's why they're so powerful. Because God hears, if we sing that way, with that kind of hope, with that kind of faith, they start asking questions. Who is your God? Don't you have troubles like we have troubles? How can you sing to God like that when you have all those troubles? But when we learn to sing with that kind of hope and faith, it is warfare. It is warfare against darkness and unbelief. And you have been called to be the choir of God. You've been called to be the kind of people that sing like you mean it. 
And that's why we give ourselves to learning how to sing these prayers to God. I want this confidence. He has delivered me out of all trouble. So why should he not again? I want to be able to say he's delivered me out of all trouble, so why will he not do it again? Think about it. As you list the troubles you are in right now, which is always easy to do, isn't it? You list, list, list your troubles, right? That's easy to do. Do not forget to list all of the troubles he already has delivered you from, which we so quickly forget to do, don't we? How long is your list of troubles? If you were to take a few minutes. Probably could come up with a pretty good list. Handful of things. How many troubles has he delivered you from? Can you make that list? We have a prayer book in our home, Kim and I now, and we have been very much encouraged to change the way that we pray, to mark down when we begin a prayer request and then to mark down a date when that prayer was answered. And that is, that is our troubles answered book. And that grants faith and hope for the ones that have not been answered yet. That grants faith and hope for the troubles that have not been answered yet. So, can you remember the, and make a list of all the troubles that he has delivered you, for, from you, especially your salvation from your well-deserved eternal damnation? When you're in the midst of troubles here on this earth, in this fallen world, it is so easy if someone were to say to you, yeah, but you've been saved from an eternity of damnation. Yeah, I know, I know, I've been saved because God's forgiven my sin. But look at all these troubles I have right here, right now. This is the more important thing. No, it's not the more important thing. This life's a vapor. It's a short vapor. Do you know what he has saved you from? Do you know the trouble he has saved you from? That's glorious. That's, that is everything. Everything else, just condiments on the side. And God is so kind in how much he gives to us. So, Remember to always look to Christ in the Psalms as well. It's interesting. This is not a Psalm that is ever quoted by Jesus explicitly, and yet he's right here in this Psalm. Jesus and his life is right here in this Psalm. Only when we see Christ in the Psalms will we rightly see ourselves in the Psalms as well. For we must learn to see ourselves in Christ. We must, you must learn to see your life and your troubles in Christ. You are in him. We are his body. Of course your troubles are his troubles. And so you can, tur- you can turn to a, like a Psalm 54 and you can hear the psalm singer, the great psalm singer, Jesus himself, betrayed by his own, seeking vindication from the Father, and placing his hope in the character and covenant of God. Consider how accurately this psalm depicts the, eter- the entire life of Jesus, especially when he faced the suffering of the cross. Imagine Jesus singing this psalm. Listen again. Imagine Jesus singing this psalm. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They've not set God before them. (coughs) Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. Cut them off in your truth. 
I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good, for he has delivered me out of all troubles. And my eye has seen his desire upon my enemies. Can you not hear Jesus singing that psalm? And I imagine, I'm certain that he did. In the fullness of time, God's covenant came to fulfillment in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to be Lord of the covenant and Savior of his people. Brothers and sisters, life is full of troubles. Life is full of troubles. Life's troubles did not go away for God's anointed, whether for David or for the Lord Jesus himself, David's greater son. Your life here will not cease from trouble. So the question is, do you know their God? Do you know David's God? Do you know his name? Do you know Jesus' Father? Do you know the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I'm telling you, he would be glad to introduce you. He would be glad to introduce you to your Heavenly Father. He is the way to your Heavenly Father. He is the way to solace for all of your troubles. He is the way for certainty that God, God's hand is good in the midst of all the troubles. Jesus is that way. Would you like to be introduced to the Father through Jesus? There and only there, you will find rest from all your troubles, salvation from your enemies, vindication of your name as a son of the Most High, and hope that carries you through with glad-hearted praise. Listen to Romans 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is given to us, who is given to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, you alone know all of our troubles you alone know how you will deliver and vindicate your people, how you will make right for every wrong your children go through, and how in Jesus Christ your people reign over those trials and tribulations with faith and hope. Lord, be our rock. Be our hiding place. Bless these brothers and sisters now with that kind of faith that smiles in the face of troubles, seen past the trials, and seeing Jesus, our conquering and forgiving and victorious King. In his name we pray. Amen. So let's stand and reply, reply and respond to Psalm 91, number 167, call Jehovah your salvation. Mm -hmm.